listening to the Digging Dexter podcast with Victor. Hello and welcome back, fellow dark passengers. This is Victor Rubio, and it's 2020. Who smokes anymore? Welcome back to the season five podcast of Digging Dexter. And I released a little bit of a trailer before a couple of weeks ago to let you know that we were coming back with season five. Obviously, Marissa's not here, and if you go back and listen to that episode, I was sort of talking about what happened. In the short, Marissa was never really a podcast person. Uh, it's just something we kind of did for fun, and once we started doing the Dexter and breaking down every part where the surrounding characters don't matter, like Masuka, LaGuardia, Batista, she, it sort of really ragged on her. Added to the fact that she didn't even like the show Dexter, she was kind of out, and one day we were talking, and she just legit walked in the room and said... I don't want to do the show anymore. So she she's out. And everything's fine between us. It's not like we broke up or anything. She just didn't want to do the podcast. And that made me want to do the podcast for some weird reason. And I knew I was going to come back and do it. I just didn't know how. So here I am by myself with season five. What I decided to do was break up the whole of season five. I was going to do it all in one episode. But as I started to talk... And if you are listening, you could hear my ice maker in the background. I started to think about doing it all in one one episode, but then it started, it became too much to try and talk about this whole thing and by myself. So what I started to do was use audio clips. And then as that got on, I started to realize, oh my God, I'm going to have like three hours of a podcast. So I decided to split it up. So you could see in the show notes that I'm going to do episodes one through six in this one, and then I'll come back shortly with episodes seven through 12. So that's going to be the new format of of the podcast going forward. There'll be longer breaks in between because this podcast takes a lot of work. Watching the episode, cutting up all the clips, and then recording it takes a lot. So that's going to be the new format of the podcast thus far. And this is also something, if I can make uh, an analogy here, I'm obviously a big Red Hot Chili Pepper fan, and... The guitarist who just recently came back, John Frushanti, he started to do some of his solo work. And his solo work, some of the songs are good and some of it is out of this world. It's him experimenting. So that's what this podcast sort of became, that I'm going to experiment on how to move forward. Because I still want to do the podcast. I still want to talk about Dexter. But I don't want to invest the time of recording every week and talking about does Batista and LaGuardia, what do we have to do with their money? It's a lot easier if I just do it quick, 10 seconds in and out. And some of this season doesn't matter and some of it does. So I, I can just sort of filter through that and then include the funny moments. You know, we don't have to talk about 10 minutes about how funny it is that Quinn, uh, I'm sorry, Masuka has this huge dragon tattoo. I can just sort of mention it and move on. So that's the new format I'm going to take. In regards to season five, it's hard because... Season 5 had a lot of expectations to live up to. You end at that high point of Season 4. All of us want to know what happens to Dexter. And by the middle of the second episode, we kind of... Our expectations are drawn back, and now we're in a wait and see. What's going to happen with this season? It's not going to be Dexter uncaged, unhinged, going nuts. It's, It's more of a subdued Dexter. And this season gets a lot of flack for that. But... When you couple the expectations of where we ended season four, the writers decided to, to bring everything down, tame it down, and let's tell a more concise uh, sort of one season episode. I'm sorry, one season story. 
And again, we'll hit the reset button coming forward after season six. Uh, I guess this comes a good point to say. Lots of spoilers. I'm going to, now that Marissa's out, I can talk about how the rest of the show goes. So, and I'll, you know, callbacks to earlier seasons and stuff that sets up for later seasons. So with this podcast, I would recommend, hopefully you've seen the show Dexter. If not, watch the rest of the series, come back and listen, especially for this podcast. Definitely watch the first six episodes. There's going to be a lot of stuff I'm talking about that I feel like it's almost implied. I'm someone who has watched Dexter a lot, so I know a lot of the po- the points, and I don't feel like breaking down every little minute detail of how we get to where we get to, so I'm just sort of quick hitting every episode. So I guess with that being said, let's get into my previously recorded six-episode review of the first half of season five of Dexter. So to start you off where I am September 26, 2010, you have to rewind four days to September 23rd. Uh, I'm living in New York City at the time, and they're doing a Dexter premiere four days before the episode airs. So, of course, being a Dexter freak like I was at the time, I go there, and uh, uh, it was like a, a Showtime-sponsored event. Um, and, you know, you go, and there's all just as crazy Dexter fans there, and you're, you know, you're finally getting to see what happens to Dexter immediately following season four. Uh, you know, we saw the trailers, the hype is real, we know Dexter is on the lawn, it was me, you know, what the hell's going on? Uh, when watching this live in a room full of people, uh, like I said, it was a Showtime sponsor event, and like, <laughs> they kind of did like what they did in elementary school, they just rolled out the TV. Uh, it was pretty cringeworthy, but it was free, and I got to know everything four days before the rest of the quote-unquote world got to see. Uh, but I remember calling out when LaGuardia first sees Rita, and she sort of clutches her stomach. I remember screaming out, LaGuardia's pregnant! And, it, you know, the room was silent, and everyone was like, oh my god, you just hear whispers like, oh my god, she is. Uh, obviously, it turned out I, I was completely wrong. Um one more thing, uh, sharing my experience from this viewing party, they show the the previously on Dexter. They, they basically just popped in the DVD and played the episode. Uh, so you get the whole, you know, Showtime Presents, and then they do the theme song, and then they do previously on Dexter. And with this recap, they essentially go through the four seasons. Uh, a nice recap if you've never watched the show for whatever reason. But obviously it ends on Rita and dying. And after all that drama... Uh, you know, everything leading up to Rita dead in the bathtub. And then it goes into the episode and I'm just laughing thinking about it. The uh, the, the title card shows up and it just says, my bad. <laughs> like everyone just like, like that's what Dexter would say if he was as emotionless as he claims he is. But just the my bad, the way it like fades in and out on the screen was just a big laughing moment by everyone. But uh, okay, let's get into episode one, my bad. Rita's inside. It was me. So as we all know, the episode starts out with the cry, you know, the baby crying and the nice echoing sound effects, and it's almost like a 
like almost in the background because Dexter can't even focus. Um, you know, the cops are rolling up to the house. A lot of this, and I'll mention the season five trailer because it plays. I want to say the season five trailer only shows this episode. It doesn't even show what happens the rest of the season. Uh, but something to note here is Dexter doesn't give the baby to the cops. And, you know, I mean, Harrison, when I say the baby, um, being Deb is the only one she trusts. And, you know, he has the, the the line, it was me, which is just a terrible thing to say at a crime scene. And we know as the viewing audience what he actually means. But to to if this wasn't a television show, this man would probably be arrested. You know, there's a dead woman in the house. He has blood all over him and the baby. And the first thing he says was, it was me. Hours in the alkaline water. Rigor mortis full-blown. Epidermal modeling. I imagined it naked plenty of times, but never like this. Man, you can always count on Masuka to lighten the mood and lighten the tension, especially with a line like this with a dead woman he's looking at. What do you want us to do with her? The first thing I want you to do is pack up and get out of there. What? The FBI is here. Trinity is their case. I already see the jurisdiction. What are you looking at him for? It's what I was saying on the way over. Rita's one of ours. She's family. We should be working on this for Dexter. Damn it, Angel, it's done. We were working on here. Not Rita. It's Dexter's 911 call. Did you hear me or not? I said the case is with the FBI now. So those two clips are clipped from when they're first at Rita's house and then later on when they're at Miami Metro, but... This is something, and you'll hear me talk about this and complain about this so many times throughout this season, but... The, the, and it's a huge complaint of mine. They never know what to do with the surrounding characters and Dexter. And with all the shit that happens between Batista and LaGuardia this season with the money and then the blowjob and then she ends up doing uh, the, the stuff for the, the CI, uh, the stink. Why not have their storyline be about this? You know, it relates so much to Dexter and it could create some real tension. The idea of like Batista wants to work it for the department and LaGuardia wants to push it on the FBI. You know, and at the end of the episode, she talks about, I don't want to keep being reminded of this, that, you know, he she could have been murdered while Dexter was there marrying them. But, you know, you could take this and, and implicate it into the storyline and... and you know, involve the the Trinity murder more, um, and it, it plays a lot more to real life, right? Like, there's a reason why you're not supposed to, or whatever the word is, you know, why you don't work with your significant others. You know, a disagreement at work could carry on into your potential life. Um, so I just thought, and it just creates so much more tension within the department that you know, uh, detective and lieutenant just aren't seeing eye to eye on something. And add to the fact they're married. I just thought it would have been something a lot more worthy than what we're going to end up talking about this season. My father, Harry, taught me a few simple rules. Never hurt an innocent and never make a scene. Harry? Where are you now when I really need you? When we see Harry at this scene here, or the ghost version that Dexter sees, it, it's really a gut punch. Uh, I, I know I tend to rag on the show a lot, but making Dexter a serial killer empathetic 
at this moment it is really good. Like he's just completely lost, and of course it's it's traumatizing. Uh, and I'll always go, you know, to the crutch of Dexter's a little kid emotionally. So, you know, he'll he'll do stuff like this where he sees this ghost version of his dad. And it's interesting that you know Dexter, for part of the episode, you know, can't find quote unquote Harry, and the first moment that he actually does show up. Before you came home and found your wife, where did you say you were again? Dexter, take off your clothes and we're going home. I was asking him a question. He already said he came home and he found her there. If you want to help, why don't you find Trinity? Or is doing something actually useful not in your fucking job description? Detective Morgan. FBI? You fucking bunch of idiots. Stop. So you've heard me mention that you know, to to make up for the idea of I'm basically talking to myself here, I'm going to be sort of giving out awards, best episode, best moment, funniest moment. And I can't believe that, you know, four minutes into the first episode, I think this is (laughs) the funniest moment of the season. I mean, we have a lot more to go through, but I've never heard that acronym before. FBI, fucking bunch of idiots. Just great humor. What? What shouldn't you have told them? About a significant exchange of saliva I witnessed at Thanksgiving. As in a kiss. Elliot and Reed? Dude was totally in love with her. And Dexter knew? Yeah. Christ. All right, look, I don't know what you've heard, but just so you understand the actual facts, all Reed and I ever did was kiss. Once. That was it. It was nothing. I mean, your husband was never around. Anyway, Dexter found out about the indiscretion and uh, came over and punched me out. Something the show is doing expertly here is showing how Dexter's grieving and also how, and it's it's sort of, it's a bunch of ideas running into each other, but also how Quinn is the only one like suspecting Dexter of this. And obviously we know it's not Dexter who did this, but there's a lot of suspicious activities around Dexter. So to see Quinn just sort of, you know, infiltrating Dexter's world a little bit and and again, you have to go and go back in time to 2010 when this episode first aired. It's like holy shit, Quinn's gonna like crack all of this. He's talking to neighbors and shit. Uh, just add some real tension to this episode. What are you doing? I don't know. Man, those kissing sounds must sound real good in your speakers right now. So after Deb and Quinn finish cleaning. Dexter's house uh they start to kiss and go into the bone zone and like Quinn said in season three you know you put two people in a room long enough they're gonna fuck but did it have to be in Deb's dead sister-in-law's house you know on one hand I could totally get with the idea she's just so emotionally driven at the moment she's just doing something erratic with someone she's basically pushed off anytime he mentioned something. The other seems just like a sloppy way to start this relationship, uh, almost grasping at like a, a shock shock factor, you know, the idea of like, oh, these two are never going to, oh my God, yes, they are. Uh, and if they were going to eventually end up together, why always have Deb just be completely repulsed uh, of the idea of him? You know, why not have maybe tease it along and then finally this moment she's just so emotionally overtaken that she just gives into it. I'm sorry for your loss. How does he do that? My sincere condolences. He sounds like he actually means it. Something happened to your mom. Something bad? A man came into our house and your mother came home and he killed her. What? She got killed? Somebody killed no, her? she's fine. Dexter. What? You're kidding, right? I don't understand. 
sorry for your loss. So obviously this is two sound clips pushed together and it was one to show how and Dexter will do this many times this season where he will repeat something that he hears um, much like a little kid. You know, the funeral director tells him sorry for your loss and in one of the funniest moments, again, another nominee for funniest moment of the season, Dexter telling his stepchildren that her their mother is dead, wearing Mickey Mouse ears. Obviously not a, a uh, audio, uh, something I could present, but visually it's very funny seeing him with the Dexter, uh, with Dexter, with the Mike, Mickey Mouse ears. Um, and there's also some meta irony going on here. You know, Dexter, played by Michael C. Hall, and David Fisher on uh, Six Feet Under, also played by Michael C. Hall, a funeral director. So it's just sort of funny seeing Dexter like reverse the roles where now he's a, uh, a family coming in. Um, and, and here's we also get sort of the intro of the first time Dexter and Rita meet uh very it's one of the sweetest moments on the show and, and it's obviously really tragic you know because this is what Dexter is reverting to uh while grieving over the death of Rita and, and you know being that we know what happens we see even during the first time reading reading Mita meeting Rita um Dexter was, was tracking a kill and then later you know we see Dexter M99 a man and leave Rita and on a first date as a single mother of two that's a pretty damn cold thing of Dexter to do um switching to Dexter telling his stepchildren what happened to Rita um you know the the it's just so heartbreaking having to tell this to your stepchildren you know I am not a parent I am not uh I don't have any stepchildren or or anything like that but I just can't imagine what that would feel like and you know well I'll repeat this so many times over the course of this podcast but Dexter is a lot more emotional than he thinks he is and having to tell this to them it, it's it's heartbreaking he doesn't even know what to do that's why he reverts to uh, uh sorry for your loss it's the only thing he knows you know he thinks that guy is really means it and he kind of also really means it here you're decent and good I'm not you are. You are. This clip is from later in the episode when Dexter is sort of given up on the idea of, of keeping uh, the children and more importantly Harrison around. And, you know, he's struggling with the idea of like, is he actually good? Uh, I like that in this episode, we're getting some Deb and Dex stuff, you know, and uh, I mean, they're family and, and they're all they have. And you lean on family in times like this, you know, much like uh, Deb was the only one Dexter trusted Harrison to. Deb is the only one he can let out these as close to the truth feelings as he can get. Uh, while watching this episode and in this moment, it's where I realized they should have made the end of season six happen in this season, uh, the end of season five, you know, you build up this trust and tension between adopted brother and sister, and you really just strike the chord at the end of the season. Uh, sort of a missed opportunity by this season, because you could throw away a good portion of season six. But regardless of this episode, this season wanted to tell, you know, a linear, complete storyline so that they can, you know, reset next season, start Dexter new. But just pains me that they had such a good setup for this season and they ultimately have to rebuild it for next year. And what are you doing interviewing witnesses? I wasn't interviewing. I was there. What? Cleaning? Please. Look, if this were anyone but Dexter, we'd at least be thinking like detectives. Which means what? What do you always say? 
When the wife is dead, 90% of the time, the husband did it. Despite all the shortcomings I am talking about, I do think this is one of the best episodes of Dexter. Uh, but for this sound clip, this was the line in the trailer that got everyone crazy. You know, 90% of the time, the husband did it. And Quinn is so damn spot on. And again, it kills me that everyone holds Dexter as this completely innocent person, completely incapable of performing such a task. You know, immediately following this, she gets told that Dexter didn't show up to the FBI meeting. Yes, he's grieving, but, you know, if you're thinking like cops here, you know, he could be on the run or at least make everyone highly suspicious, you know, coupled with the fact it was me when he said at the crime scene. Um, just kills me that everyone that surrounds this all these cops, which are, you know, like Dexter says in season one, right? Supposed to have some keen insight into the personal soul. Uh, just think Dexter is a complete saint and that none of this sticks to him. And I get the idea like LaGuardia doesn't want the, you know, Miami Metro taking over the case. But hey, Dexter's wife was messing around with the neighbor. He said it was me. Huh. Let's let, let's what if they were just at the very least suspicious? Who the fuck are you? Excuse me? Who the fuck are you? At 10A, downstairs? I never remember this episode being this funny, but Deb screaming, who the fuck are you, is just great stuff. Uh, <laughs> here we are in the first episode, three nominees for funniest moment of the season. I have two kids, Aster and Cody. They're nine and seven. I like kids. If I was someone who was very immature, I would be laughing at this hysterical, but I'm only somewhat immature. Uh, but I, I would like to think that, that this is somewhat of a callback to the pilot episode of Dexter, uh, where he kills Michael Donovan for doing all those things to the kids. Glad I called. I know I felt up in the air the way things ended. You know, like we never said a proper goodbye. So. Goodbye, Rita Bennett. So I would like to think they are playing with the hello Dexter Morgan uh, motif that they had going on last season and that they'll play a lot, you know, almost like a greatest hits that they'll play through the throughout the, the series from here on out. Um, but <laughs> this is just heartbreaking, you know, um, I don't know if I could add too much of this clip. Uh, and if I hadn't said it already, uh, I love this this episode being the idea of a, a send off for the Rita character. I remember a lot of news surrounding season five, and I'll take you back to 2010 where I was Googling Dexter season five every day just to find news. And like one of those days it was Julia Stiles guest starring. And I was like, Oh my God. And then, you know, another one, it was uh Rita's going to pop up for an episode. Um, and it was just, it's really cool how they bring her back for this, you know, first time they ever met. And, you know, just remembering that time and of, and, and you know, it's, it's so tragic and it's so, you know, Dexter's placing blame on himself because it's like, man, even the first time how you started meeting out your eventual wife, you were out killing someone. Um, you know, it's just a lot of, it, there, there's irony, there's humor, there's tragic, mostly, you know, with, with the hello, goodbye. And, you know, then we get this scene as followed by Dexter's first, I don't know what you call it, um, what, what we thought we were going to get by Dexter, this uncaged, unhinged mad killer and you know we see he kills this guy in this fish depot of sorts hey 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 
I said, what the fuck is your problem? I've had a bad week. My wife died and it was my fault. Well, I'm real sorry for your fucking loss, but your dead wife can suck my dick. You know, I'd like to say, man, this guy's in real trouble, and obviously he is going to be. Uh, but I imagine if you said that to anybody, <laughs> serial killer or not, telling your telling you know your dead wife to suck my whatever, I, I would think anyone would be in real crazy trouble here. And that's the first human thing I've seen you do since she died, Dexter. I thought you left me. I'm here. Okay, son. To show what you're feeling. So I'm trying my hardest for this not to be too harsh on your speakers here. So my apologies if if the volume's going up and down, but it's trying to normalize it so all the sound clips are are within even volume. Um, uh, like I mentioned earlier in this in this first episode, you know where is Harry? Harry's gone, and this is when he finally comes back. You know, the first time Dexter finally kills someone. Um, <laughs> you know, this is another scene where. In watching this live in a room full of other crazy Dexter fans that, you know, you could hear a pin drop. And what kind of what Harry kind of says to him here is just like, you know, all the anger in the world, everything. It's not going to bring Rita back. You have a family to go take care of. Um, You know, it's time to face it and move on. And I don't know if Dexter was avoiding it as much as just, you know, uh, numbing himself to the world of sorts, you know disregarding the FBI interview wanted to get he wanted to get rid of Harrison um here when he kind of comes back to who he really is a, a serial killer is how he sort of reverts back to the norm there's something you should probably know what it's not exactly an easy thing to say the next door neighbor Elliot I spoke to him the other day what the fuck, what the fuck was Quinn thinking here that he was gonna tell Deb that his brother had something to do with the death, that Elliot was cheating on Dexter at, at, at the funeral. That's when he decides to break that news. Idiotic fucking move on Quinn. And maybe this is why we shouldn't let Quinn to be the one who eventually, you know, quote unquote, cracks Dexter. Fucking stupid move. But I know I have to try Here in Miami with the people who knew her. Who, who, who cared about her. And who loved her. Like I did. 
repeating myself a bit here, but emotionally, I think this is one of the best Dexter episodes. Uh, I love the send off to the Rita character and seeing how Dexter deals with losing his wife. You know, it, it's something he always toys with with being a serial killer. You know, the idea of like his family's just in as much trouble as he is, and. and I, I have always liked to think of this episode as its own standoff. It's it's the uh, it's almost like the Rogue One of Star Wars, if you will. You know, just sort of it, it doesn't really deal with season four, and it doesn't really deal with the rest of season five. It, it's its own funeral, its own send off episode for Rita, uh, a standalone episode of sorts. And you know, ne- next episode we'll get into season five, and that plot will kick off. But for this episode alone, it sort of stands alone. And, and for as heavy as season four was and how it ended, uh, you needed this episode to flush out all what happened. So Dexter, the character, and the storyline, and the show, you know, could all move on. Um, it, it, it's, uh, I guess, it's a quote-unquote nice way to send off Rita, Julie Benz. Um, but I, I, you know, watching this and having to analyze it, and despite all my, I don't even call them nitpicks because I think they're obvious, clear plot holes. Um, I do like the, the stuff that deals with directly with Dexter and Rita. I, I think there's good stuff and closure for this damaged character person, Dexter, on and how he deals with everything. Episode 2. Hello there, bandit. Dexter's interview with the FBI goes well, and he's told that they don't suspect him of murder since he was at Trinity's house at the time Rita was killed. He's having trouble being a single parent, however. Astor and Cody want to move back into their house, and they're all living temporarily with Deborah in what is now a very overcrowded apartment. And when they skip school one day to go there, Dexter realizes something has to be done. Meanwhile, Deborah is also a bit fed up with the situation and goes over to Quinn's for a decent night's sleep. Dexter focuses on a new serial killer as his next victim. It said there are seven stages of grief. I suppose killing someone with my bare hands in a men's room was my way of working through the anger stage. Whatever the other six stages are, I don't have time for them. So I want to take a moment to point out what Dexter says regarding the seven stages of grief. And I remember after the season had ended, there were sort of theories that, um, you know, this season is all is plays the whole seven stages of grief. So to update those that don't know, it's shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, testing and acceptance. And up to this point, I would agree with Dexter that we got shock, denial and anger all in that first episode, you know, shock of, you know, we saw it when he was at the house, what the hell just happened and denial, you know, sort of happens throughout the episode. And then anger, we obviously see, I mean, he literally kills a man. Um, I think for a big part of the season, it is bargaining. And we'll see that with coming up with Lumen of how he, uh, you know, tries to help Lumen in order to make up for what happened to Rita. We've seen the footage, Mr. Morgan. The problem is, according to the coroner's report, your wife was killed several hours before you got on the boat. Is that what this is about? Are you fucking serious? Suggesting I have anything to do with my wife's death. The FBI's involvement in Trinity's case and here with Dexter uh, ultimately amounts to nothing, but I wanted to include this this sound clip because this is they showed this in the trailer without the sound and 
it, it's one of those, it, first of all, you, you know, it, it just was like, holy shit, this is the Dexter we're going to get this season. But also, I wanted to point out what great acting that is by Michael C. Hall, because he turns from completely normal to, you know, the monster he says he is. Um, and it, I, I just always love that scene, just how quick he flips that switch. Yeah, you didn't kill your wife. We're just looking for a reason why Arthur Mitchell might have targeted her. Because he's a serial killer? Again, great acting by Michael C. Hall here. Just we know how fake he's being. But another reason why I wanted to include this clip is because, you know, the way, you know, the FBI interview, you're thinking it's going to be this big showdown. And, you know, it, it ultimately is nothing. They're completely blind that, you know, they give us the fake out. Oh, you were at Arthur Mitchell's house because you were part of the police raid, right? Um, but the way that, that that interview ends with that piece of music it's just sort of an indicator that the investigation was never really going to amount to much. And I, I just hate that we get sort of the short end of what could be an amazing storyline, but that's not the season and story that the writers wanted to tell us for season five. Let me ask you a question, hypothetical. Say a newly married person mm-hmm. accidentally discovers that his or her new spouse has a savings account with a lot of money. Is that something that one should expect to share? Fuck no. That's your money. You tell the lieutenant, keep your fucking hands off it. Keep that in mind. Let me ask you a question. If you were married and you found out that the person you were married to had a secret bank account with a lot of money, do you think that person should share it? Jesus, Angel. Just because you married her doesn't mean you own her. It's her money. End of story. You got a dead body waiting for you. Not that anyone was asking, but I stand with Deb here. Like that money is Laguerta's, and you know, marriage is a uh, a civil. You know, there's two two partners become one. But I stand with Deb here. That that money is Laguerta's. But more so, I wanted to point out, and I'll rag on this storyline for the, the f- <laughs> pretty much the whole season. Um, this just seems like a desperate attempt to give these characters, these surrounding characters, a storyline. And again, I'm going to revert back to my my uh, my take on on the first episode that you know this should have been the 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 stress or the tension on is Rita's death case should be with the FBI or Miami Metro. I just think that would have played a lot more into it and could have involved Dexter a lot more too. Blood. Doing the podcast this way is a little bit of a challenge because there are some things where it is a lot more visual than it is audio. But in this case, it actually is pretty cool that, you know, this is the part where Dexter goes to rent a moving van and one of them, he could sort of sense blood and he gets this like spidey vision of the blood. And I wish we got that a lot more, you know, because the show is somewhat supernatural or, or, you know, if you could maybe not supernatural is the word, but if you got to imagine Miami is just this place overwrought with serial killers. So why not take it up a step a little where Dexter does have this like blood or spidey vision, you know? Uh, I always liked this scene for that, and I wish they did that more. The blood probably means nothing. Someone cut their finger while moving. But I won't be able to put it out of my mind until I know for sure. I thought the kids were your number one responsibility. They are. But here you are, in the middle of the night. It's not that simple. It never is. 
It's like when you get on a plane, they tell you if the oxygen masks come down to put yours on first before helping the kids. I have to take care of my own needs too. Otherwise I risk spinning out of control. That's not good for anyone. Despite how crazy it sounds, I completely agree with Dexter in the idea of like, you need to take care of yourself in order to help those around you. And where we're at in this point of the season is he still has all the kids. So he needs to do what he needs to do to feel normal again, to help those around him. Um, and, you know, this is where, you know, we see Dexter work the moving truck where he's spraying and he's sort of telling the story of how the blood got there. And even with Harrison in tow, it's always when the Dexter show is at its high point, you know, when Dexter is doing the stalking and everything that that's that's the fun part of it. And, you know, there's even a scene following this where Dexter is tracking who the truck was rented to. And just again, the stalking, the scouting is when Dexter really shines. You know, I know we've had our differences, but, you know, I'm a single dad. I mean, I know the ropes. So if you need any help, no, I'm good. Cause, you know, you got to give up a lot. I mean, I actually had a pretty decent career going, you know, but I had to turn down some major job offers so I could just work at home and just, you know, be there for those kids. Good for you. This was another scene from the trailers where you really thought something, just the way Dexter's holding that knife and just the way this scene is is framed and shot with all the, the ominous music, you sort of think Dexter's going to slice and dice Elliot right here. Uh, something I could never figure out with this scene is how doesn't Elliot detect Dexter's obvious annoyed tone? Like he wants nothing to do with Elliot here and Dexter just, uh, Elliot just keeps going on. Hey. Hi. How'd you call Hey, fuck puddle, what are you doing? Just giving you a kiss, hello. I, I came over here to sleep, not to have your fat little sausage fingers all over me. <laughs> Nothing really to add besides just how funny of a line uh, fat sausage fingers is. And something else I wanted to point out, and uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I would assume you are sort of a mega Dexter fan like I am. So some things is not obviously uh, translatable through audio, but uh, Quinn's apartment in season five looks an awfully lot like Lewis's apartment in season six and seven. What do you want to do for the next batch? Mickey Mouse, Silver Dollar, great big ones? Triangles. The challenge. Dexter's making triangle pancakes. Actually, they're more freeform. You want to set the table for us? Yes, sir. They're just blobs. How dare you? Not sure why, but I always love that Dexter is sort of this master pancake maker, um, and it always sits with me. I feel like it adds a lot of like a facet to his dark passenger. But also, this is where right after um, Aster sets the table and she sets it for four, and she sort of realizes, "Oh my God, I set one for my dead mother," and this sort of kicks off the idea that the kids eventually need to leave. Um, you know, they sort of can't stand to be there. You know, after this, we'll see. The kids don't show up to school, and they end up going back to the house where Rita was killed. Let me guess. This is you putting on your oxygen mask first. Being on the hunt keeps me sharp, focused. Thus, the better killer I am, the better father. It's here while recording this part of the podcast where I realized I lied in the first episode where I said that they grabbed all of the trailer from the first episode. Obviously, this was another line in the trailer. Uh, but to this sound clip, the irony that doing so, being the better serial killer, the better father, in that doing so caused his wife's death. Um, you know, and then taking you back to summer 2010 when this line in the trailer, we just were like, oh, my God. 
Dexter is going to go crazy. But again, I, and this is just sort of repeating what I said earlier in this in this episode is, yeah, like Dexter needs to take care of himself so he can be a better father, better serial killer. Too fat. Too stupid. <laughs> you know, I've heard them all. Chicken noodle, chicken noodle, chicken noodle. Where's the tomato? But if you want something, take, take it. it. You want that job? Well, well then, take it. It's entirely up to you. I like the Jordan Chase teaser in this episode that Boyd is listening to when Dexter is scoping out his house. Uh, in a later episode, I'm going to talk about how the Jordan Chase voice in the background is a nice way to tease Jordan coming later in the season um, and how they should have integrated that into season four with Trinity. Um, but I'm recording these out of order on purpose so I can drop <laughs> uh, little nuggets like this so you can you know see what's coming later on. Um, I guess something I wanted to add here also is like I, I liked Boyd. It, you know, it's funny and I guess I could talk about this later, but the idea that like Boyd was just like the tip of the iceberg and we're going to get the whole avalanche coming later in the season but he seemed cool as like a I don't know can I use the term redneck and you know just his whole pantry is filled with like just chicken noodle soup and everything and he just picks up dead animals um yeah it was just a nice fun little character for damn Sean Hastity had to see uh who's also in Six Feet Under with Michael C. Hall tell me about the Kyle Butler sketches yeah, I'm not sure how useful they'll be. The mother and two children all gave very different versions. Huh. Yeah, this is their biggest lead. It seems to be going nowhere. Do you mind if I keep a copy of this? Hmm, I got plenty. The fact that no one looks at these sketches and doesn't think it looks exactly like Michael C. Hall is laughably terrible. I don't know how else you can go on about this, but... Those clearly look like Michael C. Hall. And we get a funny scene where Masuka says, well, who's that, Justin Bieber? But it's just really bad that no one thinks this looks maybe a little bit like Dexter. I really was trying to make it work. In my own way. Yeah, I know you were. I guess it's time to face reality. Quinn. Okay, we had sex. This is a good scene here where Deb and Dex are talking on the porch and just sort of, obviously, like like the clip says, sort of have to face reality. Um, you know, it's just it's really sad that Dexter has to let go of the kids and let them move with their grandparents. But for both of them, it's a facing reality moment. You know, Dexter realizes the kids have to leave and Deb has to call Quinn and semi-admit feelings. And also, this is, again, not not a, uh, a visual, an audio cue, but Quinn realizes that Kyle Butler could be Dexter. You know, there's, so there's a lot happening um, in, in that quick moment. Can't they stay with you, Dexter? For now, you need to go with your grandparents. Don't worry, we'll still see each other all the time. Orlando's not so far. Your mother loved you more than you could ever imagine. And I... too jesus is there anything more heartbreaking than hearing cody crying asking dexter if he could please stay i mean it's getting dusty in here um but you know it's kind of heartbreaking dexter can't say i love you and this will come back in season eight with hannah um but obviously you know he is deeply flawed 
uh, emotionally. And here, this just made me feel for Aster and, and Cody. They made Aster sort of real bratty in this episode, and obviously her mother died, so of course she's allowed to be. But even all, just all throughout the course of the the the, the series run, Aster is always kind of like the bratty teenager. But here, you just you feel for the kids, and you know, I find that moment more emotionally impacting than anything from you know Rita dying. Just those those poor poor kids. God, and just hearing Cody crying makes me damn. Cody and Aster showed me that I can still care about something that makes letting them go all that much harder. It's a nice way to cap this two-episode arc, and overall, it's weird how I phrase this season in my head, because it's like the first episode is completely different than the rest, but episode one and two have its own arc. You know, two, the, the second episode belongs to the season, but also directly deals with the first episode. But that being said, you know, we're, 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 we're resetting our feet here. The kids are out of the picture, and Dexter has a new target with Boyd Fowler on his radar, and... You know, little does he know, like I mentioned before, the tip of the iceberg, he has no idea what he's about to get into with Boyd Fowler. Episode 3. Practically perfect. Dexter finds himself in a strange new world when he attempts to hire a nanny for Harrison so he can continue to stalk and kill his next victim. Meanwhile, Deborah, who takes the lead on a bizarre double homicide, is displeased when Batista suggests bringing in an annoying rookie officer who has her own theories on the case. Things heat up for Dexter when Quinn notices strange similarities between Trinity killer suspect Kyle Butler and Dexter Morgan. Much like the characters in season six, the introduction of the nanny Sonya here could have provided some great depth, but it essentially goes nowhere. You know, and again, repeating myself, it's almost as if the show doesn't know what to do with the surrounding characters except Dexter. Back in 2010, when we're all watching this, we all thought the nanny Sonia had something to do with this. So we, we just, it, it was sort of anytime she was brought around, it was like, oh, ooh, there's something there. But, you know, spoiling the rest of the season here, she uh, essentially amounts to nothing. She's a nanny and that's literally all she is. Um, so just kind of sad. We get a wasted character there. Uh, Dexter's in therapy this episode with Harrison and because I've been in a Sopranos binge the past few weeks, uh, the way Sopranos handles therapy I thought it could have been really great to see how Dexter handles some of this stuff. Um, it's kind of sad, like, you know, it just, you know, we'll see it with Deb and what that brings out and that whole weird shit, but it, it, I think it could have been, you know, led to some good stuff. She thinks these are about religious murders, Santa Mierda. That's <laughs> Santa Muerte. It's Saint Death, not Saint Shit. This is a joke that writes itself, but if you know Spanish at all, and the first time Deb said that, you you just start laughing, and you kind of know what she meant. Uh, just a funny, hilarious line. You work around here. Uh, I just love the Arabica. Something I just always loved about Dexter calling coffee Arabica. Uh, that that little quote always uh, sat with me. And we, you know, in this episode, Dexter is sort of setting up for his first ritual kill. Not like the first episode where he that was sort of an anger kill. Uh, you know, and he's just sort of getting his life back together, stalking and, you know, Dexter of old as we know it. And also in this episode, we have this Santeria stuff sort of starting. Manzone and Deb are uh, interviewing this guy of the Santeria shop. And uh, m- much like this season, it's sort of a waste to use the Santeria angle. You know, for a show being set in Miami... Uh, they could have gone a lot with it, you know, because even later when the when the shop killer is owned, uh, sorry, the shop owner is killed, it really invests you in the story now. 
uh, you know, that the case is sort of being followed. And then what we find out what this whole thing is about, you know, essentially these two guys just want money to, to drink and dance at a club. It's just sort of like, huh, you know, th- there's, there's a book, Dexter is Delicious, it's about cannibals. Um, and it's not, you know, I don't think the show could have gone cannibalism, but you know, Santeria, there, there's a, if you're going to play the religious angle like we do in season six, why not do it? It's Santeria. It's Miami. It, it, it's a thing. Oh, I left a note on the fridge. Oh, I didn't mean to worry you. No, it's fine. I'm just, I'm not used to checking the fridge for notes. Just messages from other serial killers. I rag on the voiceover sometimes, but here I think they use it really good. It's a nice callback to season one, and it's just—it's sort of <laughs> we're kind of all thinking it, you know. And um, you know, something something I've noticed while doing this rewatch, and it's something I'll talk a lot about this season. And it's sort of where where we think of where Dexter as the series ends is Dexter gets pretty sloppy as a you know a very neat monster. He becomes a pretty sloppy monster, and. You know, if you want to take the birth of Harrison led to a sloppy Dexter with the kill of Trinity, which eventually led to Trinity killing Rita. But now after the death, you know, we have this first botched attempt with Boyd Fowler because, you know, they, they both they both M99 each other and they end up in a hospital. And there's hijinks and there's not really a lot of audio to pull from that to talk about in a podcast. All that really matters is in the end, Dexter kills Boyd, which will make it the second kill of the season. And something else I wanted to note and I'll get into it much deeper later later in the podcast. The show is so wrapped up in Dexter's first kill, the LaGuerta, Batista stuff, the Quinn, Kyle Butler, that Dexter never stops to ask why Boyd is only killing blondes. Because there's a point where he opens up this, I don't know, uh, uh, where you get like signatures when you go to Disney. And it's a book and it's a book of it's all these blonde clips of hair. Um you know, you could look at it as an oversight of Dexter, but you know, this is sort of where we just start to see the sloppy Dexter. But that's an awful lot of people for Boy to be killing by himself for Dexter just to completely overlook it, being that we see what Boyd is a part of. No church bells, no hallelujah chorus. Nothing feels different. If anything, I'm emptier. I like this premise of Dexter noticing that. You know, doing the first kill isn't going to make everything back to normal, and Rita's not going to come back to life. And like he says, there's no church bells, there's no magic. You know, it's sort of uh, um, like with New Year's resolutions or or quitting or doing something. Like there's no exact moment something changes or heals. It's sort of an over the long term progression. So it, it's it's cool to see Dexter the character realize that this first kill, you know, doesn't really change anything. It's in the long run, going to get him back to normal. But as for right now, there's no magical healing. And also we see after he kills Boyd, we get the reveal of Julia Stiles, who we'll learn in the next episode is play. uh, Her name is Lumen, but uh, I love the reveal here. And I'll talk about what, what I, what, (laughs) when they released the news about Julia Stiles joining Dexter and what that meant. Episode four, Beauty and the Beast. After killing Boyd Fowler, Dexter finds a woman who is captured in Boyd's uh, upstairs, I guess you will, and he has to get Lumen to try and trust Dexter, and Deborah uh, arrives at a scene of a beheading of someone they've been questioning in regards to the Santa Muerte case. Quinn is still convinced that Dexter is the Kyle Butler and he has to try and get to Trinity's family to show them a picture of Dexter 
to ask them if that is Kyle Butler. And also, Batista tries to avoid an internal affairs investigation by apologizing to the cop he beat up in the prior episode. I wanted to let this play out a little bit. This is what... uh, I think this actual track is called Nurse Dexter, but sort of becomes Lumen's theme. Uh, This is weird. I don't know how to better describe this. I wasn't crazy about this piece of music, but it fits with what's going on and what will eventually be going on with Lumen. Um, I think Daniel Lick does an amazing job scoring this show, and I just tend to like his faster-paced uh, pieces of music in this show, but I, I did want to point out I do like this piece because it fits. I just it's not necessarily something I would listen to, but it when you're watching this show and you're watching this season, it it absolutely fits. Um, we get the introduction of Julia Stiles, who is played by Lumen here, and I remember before the season, you know, because the way season four ended, you just wanted any morsel of information, and when that trailer dropped, you're just like, oh my god. Um, and I remember when they introduced Julia Stiles, the, I remember the, 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 the article that came out with the news that they were casting her. Uh, it was saying that her and Dexter meet at a time when they really need each other. You know, never knew that this is <laughs> how they ended up meeting. Why are you doing this? Because she's dying. And you're a serial killer. I think you could handle that. You didn't do this to her, Dex. She's not your responsibility. Go home and take care of your son. So again, an ongoing theme with the podcast is that Dexter is a very unreliable narrator. He often lies to himself, but us as the viewing audience are supposed to be a little smarter than to realize that. You know, let, let's be let's be real. If he's a serial killer with no emotions, and rule number one of the code being don't get caught, Dexter should by the code and i'm using quotes around the code he should kill her and get rid of her but he does have emotions when you see a woman or let alone anyone in the condition that we meet lumen um you would have to you know help her or do something besides wanting to kill her something i wanted to add here and this is totally relevant to the entire podcast well entire dexter show uh Dexter carries Lumen onto the table, and as a funeral director, this is how we also place uh, bodies in caskets, and I've been doing this for 14 years, and I've lifted quite a few bodies into caskets myself over the years, and I ended up doing this once a few days before Christmas of 2019, and I hurt my back really bad, crippled, in bed, couldn't move, and that's where I sort of got the idea to start up start back up the podcast um so in a way the way they carry here is a way of how we got back on track with the podcast fuck me in both ears oh deb there's a small part of me that wants to sort of cut every single time deb says something this outrageous and just have a super cut of you know fuck me in both ears fuck me fuck you my mother told me when i was just a little girl never lie to someone who trusts you never trust someone who lies to you I wanted to include that quote here in the episode because it's a favorite quote of mine. I, I absolutely love 
just that it's just such a simple one. Never lie someone who trusts you. Never trust someone who lies to you. Uh, to sort of set that up for context, Dexter's been stuck with Lumen all night and sort of left the new super nanny, Sonya, with Harrison all night. And it's like, yeah, as a as a, a viewing, well, whatever you call that, uh, Sonya, watching Dexter as a parent, you, you can't just leave all night and not be there for your child. I understand that, but the barrel said no. Even though the only clue you have in the Trinity case is Kyle Butler, and I might know who that is. That's right. Ask again, right? There's no point. I thought you had clown. Not when it comes to doing an end run on safe house procedures. You would sort of think the FBI has more pull. You know, the idea that there's a cop out there or a civilian, let's even boil it down to a civilian, knowing that they know who Kyle Butler is, understanding it's a sensitive situation. Couldn't the FBI have more pull with Quinn in that, like, no, you need to tell us who this is. This is a, a nationwide manhunt for a serial killer. Uh, I, I just thought the FBI would have a little bit more pull than to just say to sort of black wall, black wall? Nah. Uh, Stonewall. Quinn here. There's a safe house, and there's Jonah Mitchell. Sometimes the voiceover on this show is absolutely terrible. Who would have thought? Better than donuts. Other times, the voiceover can be really great. Just to sort of set up that scene there, uh, Dexter has to find a way to distract some of Miami Metro so he can get an ID on the woman who we eventually learn is Lumen, but he has to find a way to sort of distract everyone at Miami Metro. So he just brings in Harrison and playing on the old cop, cop cliche, uh, better than donuts. If I'm looming here and I just got, well, I just saw a man kill another man and I somehow miraculously survive being detained in that upstairs dungeon. And Lumen does express this, but you'd still be super scared of a man who's trying to nurse you back to health. Like, that's almost as scary as the idea of someone trying to capture you, you know? Um, I'd almost be just as afraid. Like, well, why are you trying to, to nurse me back to health? Like, what, what, what are you trying to do to me? Has anyone been smoking in here? It's 2010. Who smokes? A uh, machete man, I think. Ten months old and you've had your first cigarette. Sorry about that. There's a lot of things you can say about Dexter as a father, but putting Harrison in the way of smoking cigarettes is probably him being a worse parent than him not being home all night. And th those are clips from two different parts of the episode. Uh, the thing of it's 2010, who smokes anymore? Always threw me for a loop, but I'm going to discuss in our later episode the actual timeline of everything. Uh, Dexter also goes to sort of make up with Sonya. And I uh, just wanted to point out that Sonya's house is actually the same house that Dokes has or they show of season one when his friends cops are trying to pick him up to harass Guerrero. Um, it's legit right across the street from where they filmed this entire show, which is uh, Gower Studios. Hey, I'm wondering what can end this. See, I'm more interested in what started it. According to Sergeant Lopez's deposition, he said drunkenly that you give the best blowjob in Miami. Is that part of the official record? Should it be? So you may have heard me railing against this storyline. I'm sort of recording all these episodes all out of whack, all out of order. But 
God, I just hate this trumped-up fake drama between LaGuardia and Batista. And I think this, this little fake affair you think LaGuardia is about to have with McCord is a crappy way to beef up this storyline, you know, to intentionally misdirect um, onto another storyline. It's when Miami Metro is invading the Fuentes brothers' house is when I realized the whole point of this storyline Um was, you know, eventually we're going to see it's to kind of show that maybe Deb and Dexter are alike. Um, Deb, you know, kills a Fuentes brother and doesn't show any remorse. Uh, this Santa Muerte, or as Deb calls it, Santa Mierda, uh, this whole plot is just filler. And I, I guess there are worse ways to get there, but it was an interesting way to get Deb and Dexter in the same light and to add tension to that uh, final scene where they eventually all meet. Um, Dexter, Deb, and Lumen, but I just wish this Santa Muerte stuff played more of a role, you know, you thought there was some dark, dark religious being that was going on, and sort of alludes to the books, if you know, uh, I believe it's the second book, um, I don't know, I just wish they had done more with this really interesting religion, and if you know anything about it, look up Santa Muerte, that is some shit. What do they call it? A leap of faith. I guess it's one on both our parts. How do I know that you didn't kill these girls? You don't. It's a leap of faith for both of us. So something cool I get to do when I'm doing an audio form of storytelling or, or podcasting and I get to use clips here is I like, you know, showing that in the same episode back to back, you know, uh, Sonia says it to Dexter in terms of coming back to babysitting Harrison and then Dexter ends up saying that to Lumen um, as to why should Lumen trust Dexter and it's like, yeah, Dexter has nothing else to show Lumen to make him try and trust him except everything he's done but you know like how how else are we gonna how else you know really do you ever really trust anyone or is everything kind of a, a leap of faith um and, and I, there's something you know there's a lot of things i'll always repeat regarding the show dexter but i think one of them is you know dexter's a little kid emotionally so sometimes he'll just repeat something he hears somewhere else and it just sort of fits you know um Lumen, when they're in the pond and Dexter is trying to get Lumen to trust him, uh, Lumen stabs Dexter. You know, Dexter, like, out of options, gives him this knife and is like, here, you don't trust me? Here, here's a knife. And she, like, sort of slashes him really quick. Um, it's, like, satisfying, you know? It's like, well, what else can you just, I'll stab you. Okay, you're not going to react and you're not going to drown me here in this water? Like, yeah, I, I guess... I guess I have to trust you. I always like that. It's it's fitting. So we see the drawings of what the Mitchell family describes as Kyle Butler, which we know is Dexter Morgan. And we get a funny scene where Masuka says, what is that, Justin Bieber? Um, and LaGuerta... So basically what happens is Quinn goes and follows the Mitchells and approaches Jonah in, in a deli of sorts. And, you know, all FBI agents come... And, and everything, and it's eventually told to LaGuardia, like, what the hell were you doing? And Quinn's like, I was just following up a lead that I think I know who Kyle Butler is, but he really can't say anything until he's 100% sure. And the, the, the Quinn character goes from hard-ass to not hard-ass. And I, I think he was so damn right, and it was such a great line that if this was anyone besides Dexter, this whole department would be thinking clearly. 
uh, the, the show does goes to great lengths, and I think it's to its detriment go to try and protect Dexter from ever getting caught or found. Um, and I have this jambled here, and I'm going to try and make sense of it. Uh, I feel like I'm reaching here, but LaGuerta says she doesn't want to fire him because it will acquire an investigation, and all of this news of Quinn thinking Butler's Dexter will become public knowledge and will tear this department apart. Maybe this is where the LaGuerta Batista cop in hospital comes in part comes into play. And I, I think I wrote that thinking like, well, what if Batista believed Quinn and, you know, sort of teams up with Quinn and LaGuerta sort of has to weigh her husband versus, you know, tearing the department apart. And, you know, her husband thinks like, yeah, this might be Dexter. And she's he's siding with Quinn and people actually start to put everything together. I thought that would just be a way to, instead of having the characters just sort of treading water out there, really make them really important. It's not that simple. It really is. Boyd wasn't the only one who did this to me. There were others. It's not over. We'll definitely be getting into that more as this season progresses, but you know, there you sort of have the plot drop. You know, this is what this is what the season's going to be about: finding out who these guys are. Uh, if I could wrap this episode up in one word, I guess it would be trust. You know, Dexter. Well, Sonia has to trust Dexter. Lumen has to trust Dexter. You know, e- even Quinn with 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 uh, Devin Laguerta. Like, there's there's trust that needs to be had or is not being had. Um, I I feel like I like the idea of naming this episode Beauty and the Beast, but I also almost think this episode could have been called Leap of Faith, you know, Um, but I get the idea behind Beauty and the Beast, you know, Dexter seeming he is a beast at first, but ends up being a a, a prince, if you will. Episode five. First blood. Dexter, finding out about the others that have captured Lumen, bargains with Lumen on the idea of killing the rest of them. Lumen finds a man who she thinks is one of her capturers, but turns out to be false, prompting Dexter to show her killing may not be for her, and gets her a plane ticket out of town back to Minnesota. But Lumen never gets on the plane. Miami Metro, following up after Deb's encounter with a Fuentes brother and finding their first kill, realizes the club they are affiliated to, Club Mayan. The LaGuerta, Batista, Frank McCourt scenario comes to a close with Batista barging in on a Sting LaGuerta is helping McCourt with. I like the duality of this episode, or or triality, I guess, if you will. It, it's Harrison's first time he, you know, draws blood from hitting another kid, if you will. It's sort of the first kill for Dexter for Lumen, but not really, because obviously we see that it doesn't happen. It's also, you know, we sort of see the the Fuentes brothers. It's their first kill, you know. So there's Dexter will do this sometimes, where the episode title kind of has double meanings and. Uh, um, I think it's definitely one of the things the Dexter show does really good. Also, this opening scene of Harrison and the kids playing uh, is the same place where Dexter gets married in season three. If you stay in Miami, you'll never get past this. If you had something horrible happen to you, could you just forget about it and move on? I would want to. Talk about the idea of Lumen hitting Dexter's sweet spot. I mean... You know, you could almost argue Dexter's life is trying to move on from what happened to him in the shipping container. And, uh, you know, this is almost like uh, Lumen hitting Dexter's sweet spot. You know, this is exactly what would draw him into something like this. 
So to recap where we are in terms of the Fuentes brothers investigation, uh, we saw last episode Depp had an encounter with one and the man, uh, one of the Fuentes brothers slashes this man's throat and uh, we see he survived, but he's able to recall a clue that seems sort of like this upside down UFO as Batista calls it. Um, and we think it's a tattoo. So we go on to Misuka, who has this hilarious reveal of this tattoo across his back, which is this whole big dragon, and leads to this scene. You mind taking a look at something for us? Any friend of Sugar's is a friend of mine. Sugar. <laughs> okay. Again, that reveal of Masuka's tattoo is hilarious. You know, they never know what to do with Masuka plot-wise, and it, that's sort of a thread that goes on all the way until season eight, which hits big time. Um, but adding this to his character is hilarious. This is sort of the same thing with the monster truck we saw in season four. Um, but I thought this was great, you know, almost possibly one of the funniest moments of the season. Um, so some of the Jordan Chase's crew went through Boyd's stuff uh, to eliminate any evidence. And I've always maintained, if you've heard any of the first four seasons podcast, that the show Dexter is at its best when the villains are a step ahead of Dexter. So this was cool to see that, like, you know, there's sort of rumblings in whoever had done this is onto the idea that someone's after them. Again, because I'm recording this live and, and meaning as I go through the episode, I'll record an episode. Even I was an idiot because in the very next scene, it's sort of revealed that it's a Lumen is the one who went through her stuff. Uh, even a, a veteran of Dexter, such as myself, got fooled. Dexter, this seemed like the product of a stable mind. A closet was the only place she felt safe from them. She's remade it here. Dexter, are you listening to me? Yes, I'm listening. She's not a killer. She's not you. She's coming undone. Showing this manic red yarn chaos theory Lumen has uh, trying to find the killers is, is good stuff. Like Lumen isn't and shouldn't be in the right headspace. You know, the idea... You never do something until you're the position, until you're in the position to do so. Um, pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, th there, there's a quick scene that shows Batista looking at Laguerta, uh, who's talking with Frank McCourt, uh, heavily implying an affair. Um, I just think it's sort of cheap stuff. Again, my, my biggest complaint, and God knows how many times I'm going to repeat it, is I feel like they never know what to do with the surrounding characters of Dexter. And... This is sort of, I felt like it was sort of a cheap uh, misdirect, you know, implying this, this affair. I need to kill him. So Lumen doesn't have to. I don't want her down that road. Think about what you're doing. I am. He's a sex offender. I know. On parole. What do you say? Think! Are you listening? This is where you can argue Dexter, the character, is starting to get sloppy doing stuff like this. Uh, and again, a common thread of this season in particular is going to be if the show was interested in Dexter getting caught, they'd have police swarming with this uh, guy having a an ankle bracelet on him. Um but the show's never really interested in Dexter getting caught. Uh, but again, Dexter has emotions because he knows killing this man is wrong. So, you know, the, the whole idea of a, a 
Dexter is an unreliable narrator. Um, you know, you, you could clearly see it in scenes like this. Kind of warm for gloves. Good night. Thanks for the book. So I'm going to ramble a bit in terms of this episode, in terms of this sound clip of, of Quinn sort of noticing Dexter's gloves. Uh, I'm still unsure of the Quinn slash Dex motive. You know, maybe it's just the idea of Quinn's a cop and he suspects something of Dexter. But I'll take any time the show wants to give me surrounding characters catching on to Dexter and being smart, you know, not TV land uh, slash dumb. Um Batista looks through LaGuardia's phone to see what's up between her and McCourt. Uh, I have a note here that this show has laughably bad cell phone use. Um, I, I think even basic programming could could get better uh, cell phone use than they have on the show. Um, the tension of Lumen stalking, and now I finally have the man's name, Brunner, is a, is a, high, is a season high point for me. The idea if she fires this gun and has to run or or who knows what else you know when, when she's sort of stalking him under Tuttle Bridge um if Marissa was watching this would be a gasp moment because Dex uh Lumen has the gun out he says she's about to shoot him and like Dexter comes and you know grabs the phone away to uh, the, the gun away to show like yeah that's not the right man you were about to kill um Dexter having to convince Lumen by doing the you know the heavy lifting the dirty work uh it's nice to see you know dexter so far has been 100 percent right with lumen menzone and deb follow up another person who's taking out cash and it turns out to be this person we see later brooks and wilda ortiz and i have to say great work by the set design people uh to have the portray the smell the just the whole overall feeling of having these people dead um Having worked in the field, I could say that the smell that they are portraying on TV is so spot on. Like you get a rookie like like Manzone, um, you probably will throw up. It that's how it has to stink. I think would I would even think the most veteran of veteran people um, in a house in Miami, regardless of the time of year, um, that's gonna smell really bad. And I have to say, that must be a shithole of a crime scene to be working on. Son of a bitch. Hey, hey, hey! Hey, Sergeant! You made a big mistake! The only mistake I made was not kicking your ass when you first laid eyes on my wife. Andre, let him go! This is a sting! You're wearing a wire? No shit. You idiot. What would have happened if you barged in your house? I know! So, I'm willing to be corrected on this, and maybe I just didn't go through the details because I'm just not as interested in this story. But this whole LaGuardia McCourt thing is to reveal uh, eventually the presence of Stan Liddy, who is a character we'll, we'll meet. Um, it just seems super odd the lieutenant of the station is needed for a sting operation. And again, she's going to insert herself in a sting operation later in the season. But for a cop in her own station, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm just not aware of the specifics on it. But just seems a little odd. Um, I, I'm not going to ding the show too much on the reveal of the Club Mayan stamp that's on the Fuentes brothers' hand. Uh, we get the reveal that it's right across the street from this first kill that we see of, of the crime scene. Um, you know, I, I, I do believe in random coincidences. A little quirky, it's right across the street from their first kill, but... You have to reveal it somehow, you know? Look, Quinn, you fuck with the bull, you get the horn. You understand? Yeah. 
you. Having the ability to just talk about the show and not worry about spoilers uh, leads me to my point here, and and you know we'll discuss as as these episodes go on, but. Liddy should have been the season five antagonist. Uh, you know, you sort of did that already with Dokes, but I don't know. You could rework him in here somehow. He he's just so gritty, no bullshit. Uh, and, and you know, we come to see he's he doesn't he's not as dumb as the other surrounding characters around Dexter. You know, he he wants to nail this down, and he has a huge motive. It's not like Dokes where you know he just sort of had this thing justice. This dude wants his job back. We're going to come to find out. So the idea of him coming on to Dexter is like, oh, man. You know, there's sort of a... a there's a lot of stuff up in the air right now at this point of season five. And, and the introduction of this character, along with Quinn, uh, I think I think is really great stuff. Something cool I'm able to do with the use of audio is something like this. This clip I'm going to play coming up where we see how similar Quinn and Liddy is. Are uh, you're gonna hear how they both come, how they both receive the idea of someone being named Dexter? This Dexter guy. First of all, who the fuck is named Dexter? You got a name? Dexter Morgan. Dexter. The fuck kind of name is Dexter? The end of the episode, we come to see that Lumen can't quite handle the idea of going after these men and killing them. So. Dexter convinces Lumen to get back, well, get on a plane and go home to Minnesota, and Dexter even takes her to the airport. I remember watching this live, and it seems like Lumen is seriously going to hop on the plane. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself at the time, like, what the hell was the point of this? Uh, but the idea of a woman, or anyone for that matter, groping you, like we see here what Lumen gets in the airport, uh, I buy her change of heart to stay in Miami. It, it's it's highly dramatized, but someone in Lumen's state would be freaking out like this, you know? Uh, and then our episode ends with Lumen, Lumen getting back in the cab, and we get a welcome to Miami from the cab driver. Episode 6, Everything is Illuminated. Dexter goes after his next victim, Lance Robinson, but before he can complete the deed, receives a call from Lumen, who hasn't left Miami and has tracked down one of her attackers. She shot the man and now doesn't know what to do. He goes to the site with Robinson unconscious in his car, only to find that the man Lumen is shot, is alive, and has now disappeared. When the police, in the form of his sister Deborah, respond to a call at the site, Dexter has to be quick on his feet. Literally. Still working on the Santa Muerte murders... Deborah sets up a sting for the Fuentes brothers at their favorite nightclub. It's Angel Batista, however, who comes up with a vital piece of information. Nice visual cues to start out the episode where Dexter is packing, which is, you can argue, is compartmentalization, which we'll see comes up big time later in the episode. I don't remember reading these. Because they belong to Lumen? Me either. Nice visual and audio cue that Lumen will be coming back this episode. And in regards to sunglasses, the sunglasses that Dexter wears when he's stalking Lance Robinson, I'm 99% sure is the same sunglasses he wears in season one that makes him look like the most obvious person in the world uh, when he's stalking Jeremy Downs back in season one. Four times Lance deliberately pushed someone's fantasies too far. He will be an easy kill. Just like old times. Tonight's the night. 
So in this episode, Dexter is talking this guy he's, I'm assuming he's going to meet off Craigslist, um, and he's setting up to do his own kill. But in the same frame, like we also see Luminous setting up to do her first kill. Um, so it's just kind of cool how Tonight's the Night applies to both of them. And I want to say, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, I want to say this is close to maybe one of the last times that Dexter says the iconic phrase, Tonight's the Night. He may say it in Season 8, but I'm pretty sure it's one of the last times. The only reason the Fuentes brothers are forcing people to withdraw cash from the ATM is to pay for table service at this club. The idea that this whole Santa Mierda stuff ends up being what the Fuentes brothers is about, being able to drink at this club's almost feels like the punchline of the season, you know, where this whole story, and I've already said it, you they missed a big opportunity being able to use the Santa Muerte stuff, but it, it almost feels like it's the punchline of the season. Like what 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 you think you're going to get and what, what we really want, you're not going to get, you're going to get like a, a, a calm down, a subdued version of it. No, a narcotics officer got suspended because of you. Me? You ran to IED. You cooked up this thing. You basically got Stan Liddy fired. And got all the charges against you dropped. I didn't ask for any- If I had the time, I would be inserting a snoring noise effect here. Uh, they're just really struggling to make these two matter. I think this is one of the better episodes of the season, and it just gets really brought down by anything Batista or LaGuardia. Your boy's squeaky clean on paper. He's only been out of the country once. Paris pays his bills on time, keeps to himself. I tell you, it's all too neat and a little too phony. Cool little season two callback. Let's see what I'm thinking. Man, what's he hiding? Peekaboo! <laughs> the way they play with this, what's he hiding? Peekaboo. Um, it's really cool. It, it's it's when if when Dexter is being sort of cheeky like that. I, I always like that stuff. My victim came to me. It must be ten inches of pure steel. You betcha. <laughs> David Fisher, anybody? Don't get mad at me. This isn't how I was planning to spend my evening. Me neither. Would you do me a favor? What? Stop talking. Me to Marissa every day. One of the guys had this smell, like old sweat or, I don't know, chlorine. When I got in the car with this guy, there it was. The exact same stench. You shot someone based on a feeling and an odor. So to set up where we are in this episode, Lumen shot a person that she thinks, which we come to learn is Dan the Dentist, and she calls Dexter over to sort of, you know, something to do with the body, and then Dan the Dentist has actually escaped. So Dexter is sort of trailing back to see where he could have possibly gone. Um, it's it, it, it's funny when you have someone as calm and in this moment as rational as Dexter is versus Lumen, who's erratic, it's hilarious for Dexter to point out what exactly her motives are. You know, imagine a court case being decided by, you know, feelings and an odor. You don't have any proof. I'm the proof! My memory! My experience! Hardly the most reliable tools. Fuck you! Fuck me? Wow. Dexter's reaction to Lumen saying fuck you honestly might be my personal funniest moment of the season here. Here you have this self-proclaimed, emotionless, neat monster, and a fuck you from this pretty blonde just absolutely destroys Dexter. In that moment, I feel like he's more distraught than he was when he actually saw Rita's dead body. His reaction is just so spot... It's not spot on. It's so hilarious, and it's amazing acting by Michael C. Hall. What are you doing? It's luminol. Luminol. 
No relation. The hydrogen peroxide and sodium hydrogen. So I guess I want to take this moment to discuss. I, I never understood what the Lumen name meant. It's a pretty name, and I like it, but Lumen is such a specific name to take for a character versus uh, Karen, Angela, Sarah. You know, I, I, I know it has something to do with light emitted through whatever. Well, in school, when I first heard that the character's name was going to be Lumen, in school, mortuary school, it, it was always, an, to me, it was like a vessel that blood carries through, almost like a, a coating, if you will. So that being said, between those two bumping definitions, I, I never got 100% what they were trying to evoke with this name Lumen. And it's only because it is such a specific name that you rarely hear. Shit, somebody did see you. Oh, fuck. No, we still have time. Patrol can't move until homicide arrives on the scene. That's at least 15 minutes. So I'm including this clip in here for a certain reason. And like I said, this podcast from here on out is going to be really catered towards fans of Dexter who really know the show well. And you could probably sense why I'm including this clip is because the idea that someone can't, patrol can't move until they arrive on the scene, they sort of play fast and loose with this rule or, or law, what, what have you. In season six, when Travis paints Dexter's face as a mural on the wall, and no one goes inside because they have to wait for Dexter to arrive, which really protects Dexter. Um, maybe different circumstances, but the writers did decide to include this dialogue, so it's up for me as a podcaster and even just as a, a, a viewer to, to sort of discuss that. Can you say bye-bye, Daddy? Hi, Guy. Do you hear that? Bye-bye. So obviously those two clips are not uh, side by side, but I wanted to include it because it's funny and it's something Dexter does. And it's funny that he's doing it with Harrison. Um, but the idea that he sort of repeats, you know, die, die, because that's a Harrison's first word. I remember back in 2010, I was just crazy, you know, um, Googling anything I could about the show. And it was sometime during one of the first four episodes that a blogger or writer got access to the next four episodes. And I think it's how it goes. That's how the reviewers have the episode reviews out like the moment it ends because they get screeners beforehand. A uh, little hot tip. I knew someone at Showtime and I got to watch most of season eight before anyone else did. I'll talk about that when we get there. But he said, you know, I remember reading, He literally, he, his exact quote was, you're going to die when you hear Harrison's first words. And it's just really funny that his first words are, die, die. Who the hell is that? Go. Now. Go. Compartmentalization is a joke. Fires rip through buildings all the time, no matter how closed off parts of them are. Life is the same way. It cannot be contained. I always love this compartmentalization as a joke line. You know, when Dexter's world is what it is, of course he can't keep it contained. You know, let's leave Lumen out of this. We're a few months away from his wife having passed away. His world is upside down. Then you add, you know, poor Lumen into the mix. And yeah, if you're out killing people and doing this and that, of course your world is going to be at any given moment just turned upside down. Just funny to see... Dexter voiceover while he's chasing down Lance Robinson. It's a it's a lot, lot of tension in this scene because this is where, you know, Miami Metro is circling around the corner. Um, you know, we know Dexter wasn't going to get caught, but it still adds a lot of tension to this episode. If this is going to end badly, will you please just tell me now? 
<laughs> Morgan, I just said I want to be with you. I mean, what more do you want? Oh, Deb, and I guess I should say Dex, you have no idea. Dexter. You will not believe what I found. What in the mother of fuck went on in here? I know exactly what happened. Two words. Autoerotic mummification. See, Mr. Plastic Man shot Captain Bloody Underpants while Underpants was a mid-choke. Mr. Plastic Man has hammocks between Underpants' man. You know, if I put a poll up on Twitter and I said, you know, I asked for people to vote for what they thought the funniest moment of the season was, I would imagine this would win. It's just, it's another example of uh, visual cues not helping me out here, but the Dexter voiceover with Masuka in the background doing all these sexual acts is outright hilarious. It's one of the funniest moments of the entire series, just what Masuka, Masuka does what Dexter does with crime scenes, but in this whole autoerotic mummification and, you know, he's mimicking jerking off with a flashlight. It, it's hilarious. It's not my personal favorite, but I would definitely agree. If you know, if you told me, hey, I think this is the funniest part of the season. I disagree, but I get why one would think that it is a hilarious moment. I don't even have a name for what I'm feeling. I do. The Dark Passenger. I can't get revenge for Rita's death, but I can help Lumen avenge what was done to her. I spoke in an early episode about regarding this season being the seven stages of grief, and I think you clearly hear you could see Dexter bargaining. You know, I, I can't fix what happened to Rita, but I can fix what happened to Lumen, or, or at least attempt to. I know us as the viewer could kind of sense it the, that the moment Dexter and Lumen became a, you know, quote-unquote team, but Dex hearing it and seeing this first person, you know, now we're all on board. Now we're ready to kick off the, the second half of this season and, you know, Dexter and Lumen really become a team now. Well, that wraps up the review of the first six episodes of season five of Dexter. And when I do this stuff by myself, I obviously only have one viewpoint. So I am reaching out to you to, you know, what do you think about how the season six ends? You know, episode seven through twelve. If you have interesting observations or there, there's something you want me to, to talk more about or stuff you find interesting or stuff you disagree with, and I'm sure you do because I was pretty hard on these first six episodes. Um, this season is, is, you know, I get all the flack because, again, I'll repeat it so many times, they just had so many uh, expectations to live up to. So it's it just hard to meet those. So and this is the season we got. Uh, I, I do think there were some really good moments, and let's hope I can find some more good moments as the season closes out. So if you want to send anything to me where you disagree or you have an interesting observation for the next six episodes, email me. I'm at diggingdexter at gmail.com or reach out to me on social media. I'm at, uh, what am I at? I'm at Digging Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So I hope you enjoyed this, and... I'll be back with the second half within the month, I'll say. This 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 takes a lot of work, clipping, you know, watching the episode, clipping, and then recording takes a lot of work. So I hope you appreciate it at the very least, even if it is terrible. Uh, all right. So that being said, I'll talk with you guys in about a month or so, and I'll be back with uh, the second half of season five. Thanks, everybody. Hey.